Here's a question for you. What if there were some super dangerous toxins that had the potential to be in your food, but they don't actually pose a risk for you because our food system does a great job of protecting us from that threat? Would you want to know more about this? I'm talking here about a real thing, something that could be seriously scary, but which fortunately isn't among the problems we face, at least not those of us in the rich world. The toxic chemicals I'm talking about are called mycotoxins. They're natural chemicals that can form in various foods when those foods are infected with certain fungi or molds. This sort of infection often happens because the crop is damaged by insects, but there are some cases where the infection can happen without those sorts of injuries. There are quite a few different kinds of mycotoxins, and several are seriously nasty things. The fact that our food system protects us is great news, but sadly lots of people in the poorer parts of the world don't enjoy that same degree of protection that we do. In fact, mycotoxins are among the major causes of cancer and premature death in parts of Asia and sub-Saharan Africa. So, back to my question. Do you want to know more about this topic? I think that one thing that makes this a tricky question is that we're used to the idea that the news or the focus of social dialogue tends to be about the bad things, the negatives. This kind of good news doesn't tend to get much attention. As I thought about doing an episode on this topic, a random line came to mind from the 1990s kids' show Veggie Tales. In one of the cartoon's famous silly song segments about the pirates who don't do anything, Larry the Cucumber says, Why even bring it up? That captures my quandary about venturing into an episode about mycotoxins. Should I even bring it up? Another pop culture reference would be the classic line from Mad Magazine's Alfred E. Newman. What? Me worry? Of course, that was satire, and the real goal of the magazine was to get a new generation to worry about the things their elders were telling them were just fine. But perhaps a better pop culture reference for this mycotoxin issue would be the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They were good guys out there protecting the people of New York, but doing so secretly because, well, they're mutant ninja turtles and they didn't really want to draw attention to themselves. So with this mycotoxin thing, the protection we were getting is through the efforts and attention of real people who farm or play important roles in how food makes its way through the system to us as consumers. After thinking about this for a while, I've concluded that it would be a good thing for people to know about this good news and then maybe engage in the thinking about how to extend this sort of protection to the less fortunate around the world. Mycotoxins, these dangerous chemicals made by plant-infecting molds and fungi, are not new at all. One early record of this problem comes from the first century parable of the wheat and the tares, attributed to Jesus. The story opens with a landowner's workers coming to him with the urgent question, didn't you plant good seed? The reason for their alarm was that as the wheat field was maturing, they could see that it was infested with a particular weed in the genus of grass we now call lolium. Back in Jesus' time, they called it darnel. Now, like any modern or ancient field, there are always various weeds that have to be managed, but this wasn't just any weed. It was a grass that was well known to the people of the time as a problem, and that animals or people who ate wheat contaminated with that grain would get sick. This was because of a mycotoxin formed in the grain by a fungal endophyte that tended to grow there. Early in the growing season, darnel looks a lot like wheat, but once the heads are formed, 
they're recognizable as this thing with dangerous potential. And of course, these ancient farmers didn't know of mycotoxins as such, but they knew that this was a consequential contaminant of their food supply, and one that farmers would normally have tried very hard to avoid by planting seed free from the weed. The farmer's response is perhaps the earliest record of bioterrorism. He says, some enemy must have done this, meaning that someone must have sneaked into the field and intentionally spread Darnell seed at the beginning of the growing season. The farmer's solution also makes sense. He says, wait until the wheat crop finishes its grain development and drying, and then selectively go out and gather the Darnell seed heads and burn them. That would have been a labor-intensive thing to do, but obviously something he considered necessary so the wheat would be safe to eat, and so some of the grain that was saved for seed for the next year wouldn't be contaminated again with Darnell. Another historical example of mycotoxin in the human food supply comes from medieval Europe, where there was a malady known as St. Anthony's Fire. People would develop intense pain in their feet and hands, mental disturbances, and even miscarriages among pregnant women. People eventually figured out that it came from eating bread or other things made with rye. They named this issue with the grain ergot, which we now know to be caused by an infection of the rye by a fungus called Claviceps purpurea that makes mycotoxins, which are called ergot alkaloids. It is believed that some of the mental effects of these mycotoxin poisonings was behind the strange behaviors that led to the Salem witch trial. But eventually people learned how to reduce the potential for infection, how to recognize and sort away the toxic grain. Interestingly, the various chemicals made by this fungus and their derivatives have led to the development of over a hundred pharmaceutical drugs, and also the hallucinogen LSD. As an earlier pop culture episode says, Mother Nature is a pretty amazing chemist, but frequently we don't want some of what she makes. So, mycotoxins have been a potential threat in our food supply for a long time, and so have efforts to mitigate the risk. Flash forward to 1960, when there was a mysterious die-off of turkeys on poultry farms in England. It was termed turkey X disease. But it also happens with ducklings and pheasants. It turned out that the problem traced back to moldy peanut meal that had been imported from Brazil as feed. The contaminated nuts were analyzed, and what scientists found was a family of four chemical toxins. They are made by certain strains of several species of a fungus called aspergillus. They are now collectively known as aflatoxins, and they can kill people or animals at, at sufficient dosages. The more sinister aspect of these toxins is that they can cause cancer among people who regularly get a little bit of it in their diet. Worldwide, aflatoxins may be the single biggest cause of death through liver cancer. Because so many people in the poorer parts of the world depend on maize or corn or groundnuts, peanuts, as the base for their diets, and those crops can get contaminated with aflatoxin. Aflatoxins can also occur in many other crops, including cottonseed meal, nuts like almonds, pistachios and walnuts, figs, and certain spices. And they can be passed along through milk and cheese if the cows were fed aflatoxin-containing grain. So how are you and I protected from this dangerous side of nature? Well, as is often the case with pest-related challenges, what really helps is to have a diverse set of tactics, a set of what we might call food safety ninja strategies. In many cases, the bad guys are insects because the damage they cause through their feeding opens the door for infection by the mycotoxin-producing mold. Particularly with corn and tree nuts, their caterpillars 
who chomp away at the developing ears of the corn or the holes of the nuts, opening the door for the mold. A similar thing can happen with fruits like apples when insect feeding leads to growth of a penicillium mold that makes a different mycotoxin called patulin. Patulin isn't as scary as aflatoxin, but it's still something to be avoided if possible. In an earlier pop agriculture episode titled There Are Many Ways to Kill a Bug, I talked about how farmers deal with insects using insecticides, biocontrol agents, natural enemies of the bugs, and with chemicals that repel, disorient, or otherwise confuse the bugs. Those are all good options for our food supply protecting ninjas. In the case of field corn, the genetically engineered hybrids that produce the super safe and selective BT protein suffer much less insect damage, and thus the risk for mycotoxins like aflatoxin or another nasty one called fumonisin, that risk is much reduced. The next ninja strategy has to do with crop protection products that directly target the molds or other fungi. This approach usually requires using the right fungicide at the right point in time. There's a mycotoxin known by the common name vomitoxin, that can form from infections of a fungus called fusarium if it rains while wheat or barley crops are in the middle of their bloom period. A fungicide spray made at that time can prevent the infection. It also helps if farmers combine that tool with the choice of wheat varieties that are at least partially resistant to the fungus. And it's important to choose the right order for crops in a rotation and to pay attention to which crops are growing in adjoining fields. Corn can be a problem for wheat, in both of those cases because the fusarium fungus can grow on the corn stubble. Leaving cornfields untilled is the most environmentally sound option for farmers in terms of soil health and minimized carbon footprint, but not tilling in the corn stubble increases the risk of vomitoxin in an adjoining wheat field. But if farmers combine the ninja tactics of plant resistance and careful use of a fungicide, it's possible to keep our food safe. Another interesting strategy is the use of an atoxigenic strain of the mycotoxin-forming fungus, a strain that's biologically very similar but just doesn't happen to make the toxins. And if the farmer can provide a big enough supply of the spores of these good guy strains, they can outcompete the strains that do make the toxins. This ninja strategy is widely used, particularly in the peanut, almond, and cotton industries. It's also one option that is starting to be used as a sort of homegrown remedy in less affluent countries. So fighting back against the pests in the field is the beginning of our mycotoxin defense, but a lot happens after harvest. It's important for things like grains to be harvested and then stored under conditions that are dry enough to prevent further growth of the molds. Not having the ability to create and maintain good storage conditions is one of the biggest reasons that mycotoxins are such a dangerous issue in less affluent countries. A nationwide campaign has recently been pursued in Ghana to make farmers more aware of this risk during storage so that they can at least try to avoid putting in infected grain. Back to our apple example. In the process of harvesting and handling the apples, they get little injuries, and that penicillium fungus can get into those wounds and grow while the apples are in cold storage. Chemical fungicides and biological control agents like yeasts can be applied during the step in the process when the fruit is, is being cleaned and sorted on its way to storage. That's another ninja strategy to prevent the formation of the patulin toxin. And there's another really cool tactic used to protect us from mycotoxin. In places where things like almonds or peanuts are stored, there's equipment to send the individual shelled nuts single file down a fast-moving conveyor belt. As the nuts go past a source of ultraviolet light, 
they'll give off a specific color of light by fluorescence if the aspergillus fungus is in or on the nut. A machine detects that color of light and a little puff of air knocks the potentially contaminated nut off the line and out of the final food products that consumers can buy, such as snacks and peanut butter. Recently, the Swiss company Bueller collaborated with Microsoft to develop a high-throughput grain inspection system that can do this same sort of thing with wheat and corn. Now, this approach can't really succeed if there's a lot of contamination, but if several of the other ninja strategies have been implemented, this sort of final cleanup is possible. That high degree of protection is quite standard for things like nuts and peanuts produced in the U.S., but not from all places around the world where those are grown. I like to make sure that my nut products come from the U.S. Now, there's one recent addition to our ninja arsenal for mycotoxin prevention that involves enlisting the help of the crop plants themselves. It is also something that could help farmers in the poorest parts of the world. Scientists in the U.S. and India collaborated on an anti-mycotoxin strategy using a biotech approach called RNAi. They arm plants with the ability to make part of the RNA sequence that would exactly match parts of genes in the bad guy mold. That RNAi very specifically binds to the RNA that the mold produces when it is making a key enzyme necessary for creating its mycotoxin. A nearly universal defense mechanism in plants or animal cells is out there to detect those double-stranded RNAs, and it sends out an enzyme called Dicer to chop them up. If this defense mechanism could be put into the genes for the corn and the peanut varieties that poor farmers grow, they would have a much better level of protection than they do today. The RNAi strategy is an example of what is called a scale-neutral solution, like the atoxigenic strains. This strategy could help farmers all around the world, regardless of their access to resources. Sadly, the biggest barrier to that scenario is likely to be from anti-GMO activist groups who have largely prevented any kind of biotech solutions from being offered for free to farmers in Africa and Asia. Hopefully, international organizations grounded in science will persevere on this front. They might also be able to fund better storage facilities and maybe even that grain sorting technology to further diversify the ninja capabilities for the benefit of those who still suffer the most because of mycotoxins. So I hope this discussion gives you some encouragement and some appreciation for the things that go on behind the scenes for our benefits when it comes to this challenge of mycotoxins. I believe that a benefit recognized is better than one that is just an untold story. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.